setup. Well, should we pray before we come and just uh, hear the word together? Just, Lord, we want to come with open hearts this morning, Lord. We want to come. Lord, Lord, we all want to hear your word. We all want to hear the word of life that you've got for us, Lord God. And just give us open hearts. Give us open ears, Lord. I pray that by your spirit you will speak. Lord, use me, Lord God. Use my lips. Lord, my prayer is always less of me and more of you, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that you would come and bring life in this place today. Lord, set people free. Lord, that we might truly know you more today. Amen. Amen. Well, um, a few different things kind of, kind of uh, stirred my, my thoughts for the, the sermon this week. And it's interesting that as you kind of have different thoughts and then I was kind of thinking, well, there's this and there's this and there's this. Then you're like, oh, they all kind of go together, actually. And so the pieces of the puzzle came together, which was encouraging. Um, Louisa said at that point, oh, that means it's going to be a long sermon. Um, <laughs> but we'll see how we go. Um, and actually, in our Bible study, um, we were looking this week in our community group in First Timothy. And there was a verse that really kind of grabbed me and uh, stirred me. And it's in, if you've got your Bibles, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. <clears throat> and we're looking at verse 3 and 4. And it says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, now, there's two parts to that. Now, it's wonderful that if you're here this morning, I want you to know that God wants you to be saved. Now, maybe you think, well, what does that mean? But he wants you to come into a relationship with him that is that transition from darkness into light. It's from, again, if you think about the concept of being saved, it must mean you, there's something you need saving from. Um, so that kind of idea of rescue and transformation that comes in God. And, but it says as well, to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so again, it's the heart of God this morning that God wants you to know what is true. And that's so important. Um, and there's two aspects of that, that I want to look at this morning. One is along the lines of, well, why does God want us to know the truth? What difference does it make? And obviously, the other question is, well, what is truth? What is truth? And that question was asked to Jesus um, himself in the book of John, chapter 18. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And there's this kind of, interestingly, you read this kind of back and forth of their discussions. And Pilate's trying to get to the bottom of why Jesus is there, who he is, what's all the fuss about. Um, and in verse 37... This is in John chapter 18, verse 37. It says, Then Pilate said to him, So you're a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, again, if you're a philosophical person, I love a good philosophical argument and discussion and debate and looking into things. And maybe Pilate was a very similar person. Um, and when Jesus said to them, it, like the light started going on, and I think he then said, what is truth? Because Jesus is saying this platform is all about truth and about revealing the truth and knowing the truth. And Pilate was kind of saying, well, what is truth? How can we know truth? And maybe you hear that kind of thought. And Jesus was saying, well, actually, I'm talking to you about truth. Because Pilate had his idea of what is true. Now, one of the things Pilate said to Jesus at one point is, well, well don't you know that basically your life is in my hands? Don't you know that I have the freedom and the power to set you free or to send you to death? That was the truth he understood. But the truth that Jesus understood was quite different. He was, and Jesus kind of says this to him. He's kind of like, uh, you think you have that power, but you don't have that power. And so this idea that Pilate had this concept of the world, of his self and of the power he had, but yet the reality did not align to that. How can we know anything for sure? Um, and I had this, I was asking Zachary about this last night. I think it's always good to get a 12-year-old's perspective on some of these things. Um, about how do we know what we, we, what's going on? So how do we know, again, this gets very kind of existential and philosophical, but how do we know that we are actually sitting here today? Um, particularly if you listen to some people and if you are aware of some films back in 20 years ago, The Matrix, and it's like, well, actually, maybe we're, we're just plugged into The Matrix and actually... We, this isn't real, it's all a simulation, and actually, you know, we're plugged in somewhere, and God forbid that that's actually true. But how do we know? We make an assessment. Now, um, yesterday, some, a major event happened, I don't know if you heard about it, but the Manchester United beat Man City in the Manchester derby as a Manchester United supporter. Now, again, some of you are like, I was not aware of that, Daniel, because you really don't care. Now, the fact you don't, didn't know it happened didn't change the fact that it happened. But also, for me, the question is, how do I know it actually happened? Because I wasn't there. You know, I wasn't an eyewitness to that event. Now, I did listen to some of it on the radio, um, and then I watched it on... Uh, YouTube, I watched the highlights, and I checked it on BBC Sport, and I checked the tables of the Premier League, and they all aligned. But do I know it actually happened, or are they all lying to me? Again, in the discussion with Zachary, I, I, we talked a few, few uh, through some things. One of the things, like again, when you talk to your kids about films that were really good, one of them was The Truman Show. I don't know if you remember The Truman Show. Um, again, spoiler alert if you've not watched it, but... Again, Truman is in this, he thinks it's all real, but he's in a, a society that's just basically constructed just for him, and he's on TV. And so he thinks everything around him is real, but actually, they're just making stuff up. And so how do I know that I wasn't listening to the radio and um, it was all about me? Now, the other thing, we, Louisa and I are watching Michael McIntyre's, is it Big Show? And again, there was a part in that where they faked something, the Antiques Roadshow this was, for one of the contestants to make it, it, it was only for him. And he was like, oh, they're showing this. I've got one of those antiques. They're showing this. I've got one of those antiques. 
and actually it was all fake. And so we can be deceived. But what we do is we look at the evidence. And even for that man, he was like the first item, again, it's a bit of a bizarre thought, but the first item that came up, he's like, I've got one of those. And then the next item came up on the Antiques Roadshow, if you know the show, and he's like, I've got one of those as well. And then by the third and fourth item, he was like, wait a minute, something's fishy here. The evidence before him didn't stack up. And we look at things, and so, you know, if someone just said to me, you know, oh, did you hear the result? I'm like, oh, yeah, but I didn't hear, but I'll go and check it. And so we go and check the evidence. We go and check the source. Is it reliable? And so the question is, how do we know what is true? And in some respects, we can never know something is 100% true. Now, you might say, I know 99.9999%, I'm sure. But it's hard to ever say 100%. But we look at the evidence. We look at the, the experience. We make an assessment. And based upon that, we say, actually, I think that is true. Some truths are also inconvenient. There are some things that are true that you would rather not know. Now, again, another great film, uh, if you've seen it, an old one, A Few Good Men, when he's being, uh, in, this is uh, Jack Nicholson, he's been interrogated but under, in a court, and they're saying, you need to tell us the truth. And the famous line is, you can't handle the truth. Yeah. It's an iconic line, because again, it's like, Tell us the truth, tell us the truth. He's like, you don't want to know the truth because the truth is messy. The truth might not be very nice and you're, sometimes we like to be in this place of ignorance rather than truth. So sometimes it might be true but we might not want to know it. Are there things that you would rather not know if it makes you sad or if it makes you mad you know, or if it shatters your perception of the world around you, would you ever say that you're happier believing a lie? There was one time I met this guy. I, was, I used to go out at lunch when I used to work in Canary Wharf, and I'd sit on a bench and I'd read my Bible. And once I saw this guy, and he was sitting there, and he was reading his Bible. And I was like, there's two of us. And so I went and sat with him, and I was like, started talking. And after a, a bit of conversation, I was like, oh, you're not quite the same as me. He was a Jehovah Witness. And, but it was a good conversation, and we agreed to meet up again and have a conversation. And we did this over time. And obviously, one of the major differences between a Jehovah Witness and, and myself is that I believe that Jesus is God, whereas a Jehovah Witness wouldn't believe that. And so we're having this discussion, looking at verses. And as I thought through this, and again, because ultimately I had to come to the thought of, I would rather know what is true than what is convenient. Because my life is set up around a certain truth. And if that's not true, then my life would dramatically change. So if I came to the conclusion that Jesus was not the Son of God or was not truly God, I wouldn't be standing here preaching because either I would leave or I would be kicked out, one of the two, you know? It would change who my friends are. It would change where I go to church. It would change a lot of things about my life. And when you think about it, if you think about people who change their religion, there's a lot at stake 
There's a lot of cost involved that you might lose your family, that everything might change. And so sometimes, I'm sure a lot of people, although the evidence might be there before them, will choose rather just to believe the lie because it's more convenient. Jesus said some interesting things about truth. Again, if we go into John, 6, uh, John 14, verse 6 is famous. Some of these uh, verses are very famous. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think it's interesting because for me, it, what it says is that Jesus wasn't just somebody who spoke truth, but he was the embodiment of truth. Because Jesus doesn't just speak good words to us, but he is the one who determines truth. He is the one who spoke reality into being. I've got competition now. <laughs> but Jesus was the one who spoke reality into being. It wasn't just that he learned something and relayed it, but he was the one who determined truth. That if he said something, in a sense, it became true because of who he was and is. He then also said in John 8, verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So again, if we bring those two scriptures together, we, I know I've preached on this before, but if you bring them together, if he is the truth, it's not just about reading your Bible and knowing it, being full of knowledge, but it's about reading the word of God and engaging with the person of God who it reveals and who it speaks of. And through that becomes freedom. When we know truth, it's like people say, oh, the light went on, our eyes were opened because we knew the truth. And when we know the truth, we are set free from the control of lies and deceit. So why is truth important? We're going to Matthew 7. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to get one. If you need help getting one, I'd be very happy to help you. Um, but again, it's always good to check what I'm saying is actually true. Um, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus speaking, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and, the, and great was the fall of it. So it's this parable that he's telling about Two builders, one who is building on rock and one who is building on sand. And, and what it equates to is our response to what God says. Now, because the reality is, you ultimately will, 
you, your actions will be in line with what you believe. We all act in line with what we believe. Um, I can give you many examples of that. Um, that actually, if I believed my life was in danger, then I would do something about it. But if I didn't actually believe my life was in danger, I would be a lot more comfortable and, and, and at peace. Um, and so we act in that sense, when depending on what our lives are built on. And what we also reveal, though, is that some beliefs are rock and some are sand. Because what you believe and what you believe is true is what you're building your life upon. And some beliefs are rock and some beliefs are sand. And so you're building it. Now, if you've ever built anything, now I, we did our extension. Now, we don't have rock or sand in my garden, but we got a lot of earth. But obviously, when you're building, you want to make your building secure and build a foundation that is strong. So although we didn't have rock or sand, we dug down and we poured in concrete, which I guess is the equivalent of rock in that sense, something strong to build the foundation. And the idea is that therefore when things come, when the wind blows and the rain falls, it won't fall down. But the reality is if you thought, I've got a, I've got a metal rod and I need to bang it in, which would you prefer to bang it into, rock or sand? Now, sand is a lot easier. You know, bang, 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 it's in. You're like, great, job done. Rock is like, this is hard work. You've got to drill, you've got to do all that. But the reality is, one is going to last and one will not. Some beliefs are rock and some beliefs are sand. Often, we want to take the easy route but the easy route will not sustain us. And maybe it can sustain us for a while. You know, you can build something that's going to last for a while and it will look great, but ultimately there will become a point when it won't sustain you. And one of the things when we're thinking about, we think about this with eternity in mind. Because you might say, well, it'll last me for my life. You know, I'm going to do these things and actually my life will be great. But we're not just thinking about this life, we also think about the life to come. What happens when we die? Will our truth sustain us then? Now, there was once a time, once upon a time, a man who was sitting by a pool, and this is in the Bible, the pool of Bethesda, and he sat there for, I think it was 30 years, if I remember rightly, and he was crippled. But he sat by this pool with all the other cripples as well, those who were crippled, and that what they believed was that every now and again an angel would come and it would stir the waters of the pool. And if you were fortunate enough to be the first person in, then you would be healed. Now, interestingly, it never actually says in the Bible whether that's, a, in a sense, a true account, whether it was an angel, whether they did get healed, or um, whether it was just some bubbles that came up. There was some thermo thing that just kind of created bubbles. It never kind of clarified this, but this is what the man believed. He believed, if I get into the pool, then I will be healed. And if you ever get to watch The Chosen, there's a very good video of that, that when the waters bubble, it's like a free-for-all. And they're all just kind of trying to get in there, hobbling, crawling, because obviously they're all lame in some way, trying to get in the pool. And this man, he's been there for years and years and years, and he's never able to get into the pool. 
And what he, he's feeling is, I just need someone to help me. I just need someone to help me. And then Jesus comes along and he says to this man, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? And the man says, well, I've got no one to help me into the pool. Are you going to help me? And I love, again, sometimes you read into these things, but Jesus says to him, that's, that's not why I asked you. Because this man had been in this situation for so many years. All that he could see was the only solution to my dilemma, the only, the only way I can get out of this situation is to get in this pool. That's the only route. That's my only hope. But Jesus was coming saying to him, do you want to be healed? He saw this path and he was missing the fact of who was standing in front of him. He wanted Jesus' help to get him in the pool. But what actually Jesus was saying, let's forget about the pool. The pool is not going to be the answer to your problem. I am the answer to your problem. And as I was thinking about this story, there are many things that we can be thinking about in our lives. And we're saying, now, if I can just do this, if I can just do this, I'm going to be okay. If I just, we can get stuck. Because the reality is he was stuck because no, even though he believed that was the solution, he had no way of actually getting in the pool because he was so lame that everyone else beat him to it. And I, I bet he was there. He was like, cool, they, they've all gone now. My turn's next. And the next bunch of uh, crippled people came in and it was like, oh, they're less crippled than I am. They're going to be better at getting in the pool than I am. He was stuck and he had nowhere to go. But yet he still believed that was the answer to his problem. And Jesus was coming and saying to him, are you going to believe something different? What I believe is that the root of every situation like that is a lie that is keeping us stuck. At the root of your situation is a lie that is keeping you stuck. And maybe you feel like that today, that you're in a situation, maybe like that man by the pool, and you're like, for years and years, I've been trying to get in the pool. I've been trying to do whatever it might be that's going to bring me life, that's going to bring me hope, going to bring me freedom, healing. And you just keep plugging away, keep plugging away. Maybe, and then you think, well, maybe if I do it different this time, and we've heard that quote about what's the definition of insanity, it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And the reality is he was doing that and he expected a different result and he couldn't see what was before him. So sometimes when we keep persisting and it doesn't work, we need to look elsewhere. And it's interesting that there are many people in this day and age, I don't know if you've heard this term, people deconstruct their faith. Which again, they look at what's around them. They go, this isn't working. This church experience isn't working. And so therefore they, they could deconstruct their faith. And what they end up doing is walking away from the church and God because they were like, this isn't working. And so often there's a part of me that wants to go, well, no, no, because you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the church as being the answer to your problems. And the church will never be the answer to your problems you know, changing our service time to 11 o'clock is not going to be the answer to your problems. 
we need to think about something different. Where do we look to for truth? Now, if we go back into the, the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, man and woman, Adam and Eve, are put into the garden. And in the garden, there are, these, there are lots of trees, but two trees in particular. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the two trees have very different purposes. The tree of life is the tree that keeps them going. Because later we find out that after they sin, God says, well, we need to get them out of the garden, otherwise they're going to keep eating of the tree of life and they will live forever. So actually, the tree of life, however it worked, I have no idea, but that good fruit was the thing that was actually going to give them life, keep them going. It was like the fountain of youth in that sense. Maybe there's some really good vitamins in there or something. Um, but then this other tree was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in a sense, that gave a, an awareness of things. But actually, God said to them, well, actually, when you eat of that tree, you will die. And so there were these two trees. Life came from one and death came from the other. And God said, will you eat of this tree and not of this tree? Will you focus on this tree and not on this tree? Obviously, if you know the story, they chose, eventually chose the wrong one and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And their eyes were opened. And it's interesting, I was reading this in Proverbs. I'm just going to jump to Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 3. I've lost Proverbs 3, there it is. In verse 7, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And this was the answer to what Adam and Eve had done wrong. They had eaten of this fruit, and what it did, it made them wise in their own eyes. It gave them this knowledge of good and evil, but actually that knowledge wasn't helpful to them because what it did, it meant their eyes were taken off God and onto themselves. They became aware of their nakedness. They became aware of their deficiencies, their needs. Whereas before, when their eyes were just on God and his provision for them, they were not aware of those things. Those things didn't matter. So he's saying, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We're going to move on to another story, and this is in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Now, again, if you know the story of um, the Israelites, they were in slavery in Egypt for many, I think, three, four hundred years. And then Moses led them out of slavery. They went into the wilderness. And the idea was that they would then go into the promised land. But they sent spies into the promised land. You know, the story, 12 went, 10 were bad, 2 were good. 10 came back and said, oh, no, we can't go in. The giants are there and it's going to be too hard. 2 came back and said, no, we can do it. Obviously, they listened to the 10, not to the 2. And they didn't trust God. And so whilst they were meant to enter into the promised land, they didn't. 
and they wandered in the wilderness for a generation. And so we came to this point where they are wandering in the wilderness. This is quite towards the end of that in chapter 21. Because one of the things that also kept them in that state was their moaning. Maybe something that keeps you in your state is your moaning. I'll throw that one in for free. Um, where are we? And so they've just gone through this. It says in verse 4 of chapter 21, it says, From Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea. And again, they've been, basically they've been going around in circles for a long time. Maybe, again, just like the man by the pool, you're stuck and you're going around in circles. It says, They went by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this whole, whole, sorry, worthless food. Now, bearing in mind the food that they were getting was manna that magically appeared each day, fell from heaven, and they would go out and collect it. I say magically. It's not magic. It was the provision of God. And there were quails, and there was provision of God to them. But yet they became dissatisfied. Now, the reality is, though, that they were never meant to be in that position. They were meant to be in the promised land. It says where it flowed with milk and honey, where the grapes were as big as your head, and that kind of thing. You know, that's, that was the intention of God for them. He didn't want them to be in captivity. He didn't even want them to be in the wilderness. He wanted them to be in the promised land. But again, if we think about the question about what are you looking at? When the spies went out, what did they see? They saw something that was true according to the reality of their reality. You know, you saw it in the sense of, if you, again, you put it in the context of David and Goliath. David was this little guy. Dave, Goliath was a giant. You know, if I was standing there and you said, come and have a fight, and there was some giant bloke, I'd think, you know, I'm going to lose that. If I think in a way that is according to man or according to myself. But again, if you think about David and Goliath, David saw something different. He said, no, this giant's going to be no match for me, not because I'm brilliant, but because I've got God on my side. And this was the problem of these people going into the promised land. They looked at all the difficulties and they said, well, it can't be done. It can't be done. And so they remained in a place of stuckness because they didn't believe the truth that God was telling them. So it then says, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Not just serpents, they were fiery. I don't know what that looks like. Pretty scary. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So often again, we're stuck in this situation and we can face a problem. And actually what we want is to say to God, God, just take it away. Have you ever been in that situation where you're going through a difficulty, when there's a problem, where there's temptation in your life? And what your prayer often can be is, God, just take it away. You just don't, you just, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want this. 
And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, I'm no doctor. You know, I've got no medical degree. But if you said to me, you know, if you look in the medicine books under what to do if you get bitten by a snake, it doesn't say go and look at a statue. You know, there's an anti-venom you get, you get an injection, you get some medicine. But yet God was saying to him, will you come to a place where you're not looking at the things of man, but you're looking at the things of God, where you're willing to trust me? Because again, I bet there were people who then got bitten by the snake and they were told by their friend, quick, go and look at that bronze serpent and you'll be healed. And they said to their friend, you're an idiot. You know, that's not going to work. Why would that ever work? That makes no sense. That's ludicrous. I, no, and then no one can tell me what to do. I'm not going to go and look at something. You know, you should bring that serpent to me and then I'll be healed. You know, because God's taken to this place. He doesn't want us in the wilderness, but what they couldn't do was enter into the promised land until they learned to trust in him. Because it would be God that would sustain them in the promised land, not their own ideas and their own merit. Now, if we turn into John, back into the New Testament, John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at this point, And he refers back to this story. John chapter 3, verse 14. It says, as Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus was saying, just like they had there, and I would say, just like they had in the Garden of Eden. I'm sure there are many other examples you could pull out in the Scriptures, but just like that, Jesus is going to be lifted up. And it's those who look on him will have eternal life. And what he's not saying, again, literally, because again, I can't say to you, go, right, you've got a problem. Go, Jerusalem, there's a hill. Jesus is there, go and have a look at him. You know, we can't do that. You can't do that today. But what it's saying is, will you look to Jesus as the one who you're going to put your faith in, who you're going to put your trust in, who you are going to come to as the one who is saying, I am the truth. Now, I could stand here today and I could say, well, actually, there's loads of truth in the Bible you need to believe. And there is. And I'll leave that to you to go and read. But actually, what it's saying is, will you look to him? Because you might be going through situations today you might be stuck by the pool, so to speak. You might have been bitten by a snake. You might be struggling in your finances, in your relationships, in your work, whatever it might be. And ultimately, the question God is saying to you, I, I, I've got a purpose for you, and I want to bring you into this promised land, this place of wholeness and healing. But 
if you don't look to me, it won't happen. You need to look to me. You need to lift up your eyes away from the things that you're currently believing. And it might be that currently the foundation, the thing that you're believing is sand. And maybe the thing that Jesus is asking of you is rock. And you're like, but it's hard. You know, I bash away and it's hard work. But the reality is, it will be the thing that will sustain you in the years to come. And the sand will be the thing that will kind of wash away when the rains come and the wind blows. Often the things of God do not make sense. I've talked about this before. You know, I always call it the upside down kingdom. It's only upside down from our perspective, not his. To him, it's the right way up. You know, give and it shall be given to you. It's better to give than to receive. Turn the other cheek. You, you, you know, you read all these things in the scriptures and you're like, how on earth does that work? It works because he is true. He is the truth. And he is the one who said it. So it's not about a list of doctrine or dogma that you have to believe today. It's about the one you believe in. So I've got just a couple of questions to finish with. Where will you look to? Just like the man by the pool. Are you going to keep looking at the pool? Going, no, if I can just do this. If I can just get in the pool. If someone's just going to help me, give me a push, give me a kick, you know, roll me over the edge, whatever it might be, and you've got all these different ideas about how it can work. Are you fixated in that thing and you're not looking to the one who is just standing there saying, actually, take up your bed and walk? And I love that because he said, take up your bed and walk. Why did he say it? Because that wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to go somewhere else. That wasn't for him anymore. Where are you going to look to and what will you keep believing in? I want to pray that God will just come by his spirit right now and expose lies and deceit. The hard thing with deception is that we don't know we're being deceived. You know? And that's why we have the Holy Spirit who's going to come and he's going to reveal stuff to us. And I want you to also agree with me today, if you would be that bold, is to say that I will follow the truth of God even if it is inconvenient. Even if it's hard, I will follow him and I will do what he has said so that I might enter into life that he has for me. Shall we pray? We're just going to ask, I don't know if the band want to come. Or is Janet doing kids? Alan can still play for us. If you just want to play a bit of background. Let's just come before God and just seek him and after a bit, we're going to take communion, which is an opportunity for us to just, again, say, God, I'm looking to you. You're the one I'm fixing my eyes on. You are the hope. Because again, what difference in our lives does a bit of bread and a bit of juice make? You know, drinking juice and eating bread will not change your life. But when we do this act, it's about representing our saying yes to God. So let's pray first. Let's 
just seek him and ask him to reveal anything in our lives that we need to hand over to him. If there's anything that we just need to change our perspective on and you might have find something that the Holy Spirit reveals it to you and he's just saying, look, you've been following this, you've been putting your hope in this. I want you to change where you're putting your hope this morning. Okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Will you come and reveal the things of our heart, reveal the lies, reveal the deception that the enemy is seeking to steal away from us, life that you have for us. Come and speak your truth to us, Lord God, today. Lord, even when it's an inconvenient truth, a hard truth, Lord, your word is life. Speak that life to us now, Lord Jesus.